Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. Um, I'm really excited about today's guest. Yes, I know I say that all the time because I just love what I do here. Um, but I have with me today, Dr. Rhonda Beeman, and um, she is the National Education Associate uh, first recipient of the Art of Teaching Award, and she's been a professor of the year at three different universities. And her family was named, this is one of my best tidbits here, America's Most Creative Family by USA Today. Um, but here's another fun fact for all of you guys out there watching and, and listening to the show. She's appeared on Don't Forget the Lyrics with Wayne Brady. And her crowning achievement was that she did not know that there was a third verse to Sweet Home Alabama. And to be honest, <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Um, but when she's not appearing on game shows, she is the chief creative officer at Peak Learning and a clinical professor at the Graduate School of Business at California Polytech University. She's written two books. Actually, she's written more than that, but two books. Um, one is her award-winning book called You're Only Young Twice, 10 Do-Overs to Re Reawaken Your Spirit. And this has been printed in five different languages. And she also has this memoir, which is really fascinating, which is Little Miss Merit Badge, which is her humorous account of her achievement addiction, which I can kind of relate to, and the childhood <laughs> hijinks um, employed to thrive in an unusual family. So I'm excited to welcome you to the show today, Rhonda. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yes. I think we're going to talk about some important things. Yeah, that's the point. Um, you know, I, I do have to start off with my most curious question, which is to uh, ask you, what does it mean to be America's most creative family? Because I've been dying to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm in the process right now of writing my, my follow-up book to that Little Miss Merit Badge, and, and I'm on the chapter about that. And it really stemmed from when I had my kids, I, I also ended up a single mom for a bit. And, you know, you have two, I, I had two thoughts when I had kids. One, I want to make sure there's somebody that I like, not just love, but that they grow up to be somebody that I like, because I'm going to be hanging out with them a long time. So how do you make it be somebody that you would want as a friend? That was important to me. And secondly, that I knew they were only on loan to me and it was going to go very fast. And so how to make it a wild ride and how to make it interesting and all the things that I wanted as a kid but didn't get. That's the really good thing about having parents that left a little to be desired is it kind of teaches you what to do, right? What or what not to do is how you become a good parent. Do everything opposite of your parents and you got it made. So um, we just started doing really crazy fun things all the time. Um, you know, lunchtime would be opera and we would have to sing in opera about what we wanted for lunch and how to make, I mean, there was just stuff going on all the time. So uh, when it came time and they were doing a search for America's most creative family, it was actually my son that said, mom, it's us. I know it's us. And I'm like, that, that's a prize already, right? To have your son say that. And so you had to write an essay about something creative that you did to spend time together. And we created these, I had created these international dinners because we always lived in small towns and couldn't afford to travel. And so we would do these international dinners. And the rule was you couldn't spend any money or anything like that, but you had to dress in costume the way that you thought somebody from that country would dress. I would cook the food. The boys had to do the music and the art and all that kind of stuff. And we'd go to Japan and we'd go to Venezuela. And we'd go. So it was really fun. And so we wrote about doing that and darned if we didn't win. And they came out to our house and we took them to France for a dinner. 
and um, yeah, it was just, it was really a fun thing. So it was, it was a great experience for everybody. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, how old are your kids now? <clears throat> they are grown men now. And okay. One is, one is an attorney and one is a professor of ethics and leadership. So I either overdid the moral compass or they had no guidance whatsoever because they both <laughs> went into the legal moral thing. So, mm -hmm. well, I was going to be, men. I was going to be, I was curious about what that influence of having all of that to them. I mean, it sounds like in, in one way, you know, there's a, their worldview is widened, right? You know, like their perception of people and space and, you know, that there are others besides, you know, just exactly. You know, well, there was there. one point where they were both in college and one was living in Africa and one was living in Spain. I was like, what did I do wrong? But it was really <laughs> what I did right. Cause one joined the Peace Corps and now watching them raise their own children and watching the creative things they do, you know, because dysfunction can be, get passed along, but also so can love and creativity much more so. So it's no big secret what people need to thrive and succeed and um, endure. Uh, it's, it's just, it takes more effort than falling into the routines that you're familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. totally. Well, an entire podcast about all of that, about the routines that we take. Absolutely. So um, I love hearing good examples here. Now, um, like I mentioned to you and through my email and, and off the air that the listeners and the, and the viewers didn't get to see, um, you know, I reached out to you because of the work that Peak Learning does and had found the organization through research um, in Paul Stoltz. And it's like, you know, going down rabbit holes and stuff like that around resilience and adversity while I was writing my, my book. Now, how did you end up through this entire career um, with peak learning? Because I thought I saw somewhere where you've been with the organization for 30 years now. Yes, actually, um, I'm the co-founder and Paul Stoltz is actually my husband. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not on the website. That's all brand new. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't really talk about that much. In fact, there's so many times I have him come into my university classroom to discuss adversity. And <clears throat> at the end, um, I will say to the students, you know, I told you I would do anything to get the best and brightest speakers in here. I had to sleep with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> My students are like, oh! you know, I'm like, I'm married. We're married. Okay. Um, but yeah, about 30, 30 years ago, we uh, started doing, because here's the thing about, you know, we don't like to be called motivational speakers or anything like that. But at first, that's really what we were. And we realized that people were worse off after we were finished instead of better because you get kind of hyped and you get excited about life or whatever the topic may be. And then you leave and the next day their lives are the same and their problems are still there. And it's like having a cup of coffee, you know, you feel good for a moment and then you crash. And, you know, we went on this uh, search research uh, for finding out what really is, um, the combustion engine of human endeavor and um, did a lot of research on adversity and resilience and, and one thing led to another and we developed what we call the adversity quotient uh, to test uh, how people, you know, react to and respond to the tough stuff. But that wasn't enough. Just to figure out how you respond isn't enough. Can you improve it? And yes, you can because it is you know, how you learn about responding to adversity is really hardwired by what you watched growing up, how you watch the adults around you handle it. So if your parents fell apart, you pretty much, that's what you learned and you fall apart and you explain to yourself uh, the negative sides of it and, you know, all that kind of, but that can, and we actually can re help you rewire and change your response and your relationship to adversity within a day. So we do a pre and a post test, and then people will take that home and work on it and t share it with their kids, share it with their family. When your daughter comes home and goes, I failed my exam, I'm a terrible student. You now have some tools to help the you know, people that you love also learn to respond in a more um, positive and meaningful and enduring way. So it's really been gratifying work that we, we've now tested probably over a million people. Um, and we have, you know, uh, places in China and Norway and all these different places, Philippines, 
helping people um, handle the tough stuff better. And that's so much more meaningful than just going in and giving a really peppy talk for an hour. So, <laughs> for, for sure. Yeah. And I, I know that that's been um, watching, you know, watching people, especially when you want to cheer them on. And I can see that you're just, you know, your energy is and you're, uh, you're so dynamic. And so, um, and then watching some of your TED talks, just watching you just like, you've got that natural, like, I just want to root for you. And, and I get that. And it is kind of disheartening when you're uh, watching somebody that they got the, you know, they're getting going and then they kind of fall off. And I know my, my pursuit and the reason why I, why I did my book was because I wanted to help uncover some of the things that tend to be the, the little, you know, all the anchors that hold people down and back. And um, when I started to get into the chapter about resilience and how I ended up, uh, you know, across you guys um, was a friend had said, I don't think that you can teach anybody a me what you do, because I, that has been like a hallmark of me of, of, uh, you know, running into, and, and I have some theories here. Sometimes they were fires I started self-sabotage sure. and then rose up out of them, which I think there's a problem in there um, that's, you know, worth a discussion at some point. But the reality of, of having, you know, things happen and sit down and be able to go, I'm going to be okay. You know, and I remember years ago, a person sitting there going, how do you even know that? And I said, I don't even know what I'm going to do, but I just know that I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm just going to, yeah. I'm going to get through this. I'll give me a minute here to think about this, but then I'm going to come up with a way and I'm going to pull up and, and out. And I've done that. I've done that, you know, many times. And, um, and so this friend, when I was on this chapter of the book had said, well, I just don't think you can actually teach that to anybody. He goes like, I believe in myself, but there's something about you that just is like beyond that. And I, I couldn't accept that as an answer. Like I just, and I thought, well, this yeah, book because is I be mean, where did you learn it then? Right. I mean, right. If you can't, if you got it, how did you get it? Cause you had to learn it somehow. Right. 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 Yeah. And so that was the research of seeing, um, well, how is resilience built? You know, how is it that some people, cause I've also seen people that, and I've called resilience a privilege just because what I've seen is I've seen some people not know where that engine comes from, take it for granted that they have it and then get frustrated with other people for not having it. Right. And so then that's where I wanted to kind of like unpack that. You know, it, are some are some people born with a, a greater propensity to it? Because I thought I had seen some research through Harvard that showed that there may be dopamine or serotonin receptors that you know that may aid in Correct. how how somebody does that. So can you can you talk a little bit about that? Like, are well, some people born for for it to begin with? Uh, that's a great question, and certainly um, it's true. Uh, there are some people. My brother and sister are very different than me and ha from the very get-go were and have had a lot of struggles in their lives and um, have not in many ways triumphed over those struggles that were a direct response to our childhood environment. Um, but my grandmother was a pip and I... <laughs> and, um, you know, I think I just got an extra dose of, like you said, the dopamine, the serotonin. Because, you know, we used to go, snap out of it. What's the matter with you? It's your fault you're depressed or whatever. And then, oh, oh, we found that people's brains have a different chemical makeup. Oh, sorry. Right. And so um, there's so much more that we're discovering. But everyone is born resilient. That's the thing that we forget because you wouldn't walk if you had not been born resilient. You fall down, you get back up. You fall down, you keep getting back up. Um, and that's what it is. And that's how we've survived as a species. We're a really resilient species. But man, it's hard to be a human being. And man, life beats you up. And I, you know, in listening to you and, and knowing some of your struggles and the things that you've been through and are trying to do now for other people, the thing is, I, I have found, and again, this is not scientific, this is my personal opinion, that you have to believe that you're worth being happy, you're worth being successful, you're worth getting back up. And I think a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, don't think they're worth it. And if we can start there, and I'm not a therapist and I'm not a trained, you know, behavior, behavior specialist or anything, but I've worked with college students who I love. I love that aged person. 
that they're just on the precipice of their own greatness, you know, and their bodies and minds are young and they're ready. And, but a lot of them don't think they're worth it. And you can see the ones that do. And, and what's the contravening factor? And a lot of it has to do with parenting. A lot of it has to do with um, intelligence. And a lot of it has to do with just bravery. And I would say that in your case and my case, <laughs> you're just brave. You know, I mean, I'm not, the, I was never the sharpest tool in the shed. I was never the prettiest, the fastest, the whatever. But I was brave and I got the fact that you get one freaking turn. One freaking turn on this planet is all you get. And you don't get a do over. You don't get somebody at the end of it. You don't go, oh, now I know what I want to do and be, right? So I think that there's a lot of things, you know, a lot of, it's like a uh, golf ball. When you were a kid, remember you took a golf ball apart and had all those rubber bands? Shooting that's, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's what a human life is like. Just layers and layers of this stuff, you know, and um, it's complicated or, because if it wasn't, everybody would be happy and resilient and moving forward. It's just really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And I, for myself, I'm speaking for myself. I didn't want to spend my life an alcoholic. I didn't want to spend my, my life unhappy. I didn't want to spend my life blaming other people. You know, that's got a shelf life for somebody like me. I just, I just didn't want it. And so by sheer force of, um, you know, desire and, and knowing that I get one chance to live, um, that really helped motivate me to keep moving forward that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it does. It does. Um, do you think, because one of the things that I had also seen when it came to um, why some people seem to develop it earlier at, you know, at a younger age and have better experiences with overcoming adversities is the presence of an, a, a secure adult, you know, some mentor, some model, some sense of assurance. And it sounds like maybe that's what you're, you're talking about is somewhere along the way, a person who ultimately just made you believe that you were still worth picking up yourself up and to keep moving forward. Um, do you think that was something that you had? I know I had to think about that for a while because I was like, man, thinking about everybody around me and I could finally center in on my grandmother as being mm. that constancy, you know, singing, uh, uh, you know, zippity doo in the morning, just very bright and friendly. And, um, and with all chaos there, the one person who kept showing up for me, um, right. And everywhere. And I was like, man, that, that must be part of it as well, because, you know, I didn't have the and teacher that saved my life or you yeah, know, any of those stories. Yeah. And it does just take one. That's what, so this is again, that this is what tells you what's so fantastic about the human spirit and human soul. It takes one. And um, I did not have that. And I, you want to hear who my, my role models were when I was growing up was Jane Fonda and Cher. And the reason that Jane Fonda and Cher were my role models is because they were the only women when I was growing up who spoke their truth, who didn't care what other people thought of them. I mean, Cher would go, yeah, I've had plastic surgery, so what? You know, I'd be like, wow. <laughs> and Jane Fonda is like, I don't think the war is a great idea. And it doesn't matter if you agreed with her. She didn't care. She was going to say what she believed. And women just didn't do that when I was growing up. And I just so respected that. And, you know, I had a dad who pretty much was a misogynist. He didn't think women should be on the news. He didn't think women should be. You know, and he sent me, I mean, he directly said to me, I'm going to pay for you to go to college. I was the first person in my family to go. I'll pay for you to go to college because you'll marry a better quality of person than if you, yeah. I mean, that's why I was sent. I was never, it was never that I would be anything, you know. So if you don't have a role model, you can also create them. I mean, that's what the power of art, you know, the power of learning, the power of a good book. Sometimes just reading about a, an amazing person could be that role model. But yeah, you need some sort of guiding principle um, of what a better life can be, you know. And the thing about adversity is, and it, it isn't just about getting back up and responding in a positive way. It's also about moving forward. 
from there, mm-hmm. right? So that you're not staying where, you know, you're that, at. You're just not, the best. Yeah. 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 So, so you have that there are these four dimensions that determine how well we're going to handle adversity. And let's just say 2020 is an example <laughs> of adversity. <laughs> Pick your issue, you know, this year. Man, um, oh man. Yeah, right. So this is, this is a great topic here. But I mean, you know, people have had to worldwide go a lot through a lot of up and down. Some people are dealing with health scares and, you know, very, you know, real concerns over their own well-being. Or I've talked with a lot of people who are actually really gravely frightened for their parents' well-being. Um, and then you've got unemployment, you know, 30 plus million people that were, you know, jobs had, you know, contracted in order to kind of bunker down. Some of them are coming back, some of them are not. I've seen many small businesses that had to just kind of shutter and just decided to not reopen, you know, even as these phase reopenings are going on, you know, up and down throughout the United States. And then you bring in the death of George Floyd and the catalyst that that created in our country. Um, widespread. And then you've got an election coming up, regardless, I've said this before, of what side of the political coin you are on. There's just going to be, we're bombarded one after the other after the other. I mean, this is a a test of metal this year. Um, And you see lots of people affected by this in different ways. And so you guys have identified that there are four aspects that determine how well we actually handle that. Do you want to go into that for us to kind of hear what those are? Sure. Um, and, and I agree with you that this is, um, are you allowed to say, are you allowed to say the S word? For it's an adult show. Okay, yeah, it's great. an adult show. Um, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day that said 2020 is just a shit show. I mean, it is just unbelievable. And she was getting married on Saturday on the 4th of July. And right when she was supposed to be getting married, you know, some something happened with her business. And, and she just wrote on her Instagram, thanks, 2020. I mean, it's just now gotten to where you, it's unbelievably how unbelievable how bad it can be. Um, but hey, you know, Kim Jong-un hasn't sent the nuclear bomb over. We've got some groceries. It's okay. We're okay. Right. Toilet but, paper's back. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But yeah, it's, it's been a test, like you said, of our metal. Um, there are these four core factors, these four core things. And that's, I keep saying the word core because that's what we're talking about is the core of, of your response, right? So let's take the letter C. That is, you know, so let me, let me say to your listeners or viewers, you know, think about something that's particularly difficult for you right now and put it in the lens of what we're about to talk about. So let's not take the global thing, but take something that's really hard for you. Maybe it is just being quarantined and not being able to, you know, live your normal life. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. So for you, C is what can you can control in this circumstance? So if it's that you cannot leave your home because you are caring for an elderly parent or whatever it might be, you can't control that at all. That is what you have to do. But you can control what goes on while you're in the house, you know, what kinds of hobbies you now begin to take on, whatever, you know, whatever you can control. I can go sit out in the sunshine and wave at neighbors so I don't feel so isolated. You know, start making a list of the things that are within your purview and use those. Do you know, it's really important that you have this sense of control. They've done studies where in um, assisted living homes, they give some people a plant to take care of and some people don't get a plant. And the people who have a plant to take care of end up living like two years longer than the ones that don't have a plant. It's just that idea of I can control my environment and help something in the environment and I'm important you know, to what's happening. So control is the first dimension. The next one is O, ownership. And ownership is to what degree can you take, uh, take advantage of and what do I own in this particular problem? So I do own my response. I do own, you know, what I, how I control these kinds of things and all that kind of stuff. So it's your, the degree to which you can step up and solve whatever you can step up and solve. Um, 
R is reach. How far are you going to let this adversity reach into your life? Have you heard people that go, you know, this always happens to me. You know, my life always sucks. I knew this was going to happen. Well, that's reach. I mean, that means because really the adversity that's happening today isn't going to last forever. You have no evidence that it's going to last forever. And it's a one piece of something that happened today. You know, for some people, their computer crashing is a terrible, terrible event, right? And that's their adversity. Everybody has different levels of it. Um, but how far do you let it reach into your entire life? I have a friend. Um, he was a former student. And he was a big-time Hollywood producer success story. And I kept thinking maybe he would make a movie out of my life, but he did not. I don't understand that. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> we'll and, save that for later. <laughs> thank you. Okay. And um, he got up one morning, didn't feel well, got on an airplane to fly to a conference. And by the time he got to a conference on reality TV, he, he was seeing three of everything. And he realized, I'm really, really ill. Got in a cab, went to a hospital. 180 days later, um, no leg no arm, half his fingers gone, horrible, horrible virus. Um, he'd always taken care of himself. He was a fitness guy. He was at the top of his game. You know, within three weeks, he was weightlifting on morphine. He was on morphine and still weightlifting so he could get a hand transplant. You know, uh, the reason I'm telling you this story is he would not let it reach into his entire life to where I'm going to let I, I give up. I don't have it, my same equipment. I'm not the same person. I'm half the person, whatever it might be. It's not going to read. He got married. He's living. You know, it's a one thing that happened to you. It doesn't mean it has to ruin your entire life. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the E is endurance. How long are you going to let it last? Right. Not only how far you're going to let it spread like wildfire, but how long you're going to hold on to this. You know, like, let's say you've been divorced and it wasn't your idea and you still loved the person, but they left you or whatever. How long are you going to let that go on to ruin your entire life, to never love anybody again, to, you know, just have it be the, the story that, that, what is that kids movie, the never ending story, mm -hmm. right? So that's endurance. And so you take a look at your core response to adversity. What can you control? What do you own? How far are you going to let it reach? And how long are you going to let it last? And if you can lay it out like that, if you can really take a look at it and dissect it, you will come up with for yourself, you know, effective strategies to begin to not just, again, handle adversity, but to harness it. Because you will never know your own personal greatness. You will never know what you're made of from the good stuff. That is not how life works. You will only mine and ore that, that strength and that power and that courage and that intelligence and that grit by the stuff going wrong. That's, that's the hell of it, right? That's the, we never learn from the good stuff. But if you can harness it, the idea is to end up better because it happened. End up better because the adversity happened. That's, that's the idea. And so here we all are in, in our quarantine wearing masks and it's surreal. And it's, But we're spending more time with people we love. We're a little more relaxed. We're off the hamster wheel. We're, we got family around. We're learning to make sourdough bread. You know, whatever the case may be, we're going to end up better. If we can, if we can harness this and have a good core response to what's going on. So when you when you talked with people about this and you lay this out and you know it goes back to the you know not a motivational speaker um, because I, you know I get goosebumps I'm listening to this I'm ready to go and then <laughs> and then like I said you you see the deflation right the after the effect where yeah. the lack of momentum of being able to push this forward why do you think some people respond differently than others I mean you lay this all out everybody nods agrees okay I get it I understand but how how is it that some people get worn down by adversities and some people seem to grow stronger well with i adversity? think 
I think it's, it, it boils down to what we know about human behavior and it's always about fear, you know, pain or pleasure, right? Pain or pleasure. You will change if you're in enough pain, mm-hmm. you know, and by changing that could just mean drink yourself to death, right? It doesn't mean you're going to change for good, but if the pain is, is, you know, tough enough and hard enough, you will change. And no one can control except you whether you're going to change for the better or change for the worse. So there's no magic bullet to that. But if someone's coming and reading your book or coming to your talk or listening to your show or whatever, they're already saying, I want to be better. I want to find an answer. I want to move forward. So you've got that, right? And so the things that people like you are doing to get information out and to talk to people and to share your story so they can learn from your story. And, you know, you're probably a role model for a lot of people you'll never meet, hear from, or know. Um, And that's why you're doing it. You know, you're not doing it because it's for you. You're doing it for all these other people. And there's what, 2 million podcasts out there now. And, uh, you know, all kinds of books out there. So people are searching and, I believe that's because they want to be better. I've never met anyone who wants to just be nothing. I've never met anyone who wants that. Even the homeless people that you pass on the street, you can see in their faces. Most of them are, you know, kind and you say good morning to them. They say good morning back or you sit and talk to them. You know, something bad happened. Something bad happened along the way and they want something better. And, and, it's just the human connection. And, you know, so to this is a long way of saying there's no answer to your question. It's an individual choice based on the pain that somebody's facing and what they can muster to have some sort of core response to it, you know, mm-hmm. but, the, but the, cause the world is filled with homeless geniuses. It has nothing to do with IQ, nothing, you know, it has everything to do with your internal combustion of, going back to what we were talking about, believing that I'm worth it and my, I have one life and I'm blowing it and I need to step up and fix it and clean it up and make my life better because this happened instead of worse. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no secret to it. It's a lot of hard work and you have to want it. You have to yeah. want it. And sometimes I have a lot of girlfriends who didn't want it for themselves, but they can't let their kids down. You know, they can't. So if, if it's a, if it's someone else that's counting on you, that can help you, you know, be better than you would normally be for yourself. And that's mm-hmm. what love is. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, you know, I, I, that was one of my things for me was definitely the model for my kids. You know, like, you know, Absolutely. you sit there and you go, um, what did I want? What, what did I need? what did I need to see more often and, um, and making sure that that's how I'm doing my best to show up, you know, for them in that way. Um, you know, they, they're going to have in their history, you know, a bunch of, you know, stuff their shitty parents did to them, just like all of us. And, um, you know, despite, you know, our best intentions to have not done anything otherwise, and I guess, you know, for me, what I, what I do think about is that this isn't always about me, that what this probably is, is showing them how you can overcome, that you can't have a past dotted with a bunch of crap that you wish hadn't happened, wasn't fair, you know, you were just a kid, but that you can't actually do something, like you can't overcome that. And that is probably one of my most powerful motivators right there. Absolutely. Is, is knowing that they're, that they're watching, you know. Yeah. And that's what I mean. So if, if you don't do it for yourself, you can find yourself doing it for others um, because you love them, because you have a responsibility to them, and it'll make you be a better person. You know, um, my son's a district attorney here in Tant where I live, and he was just telling me the other day that when you go into these prisons, this is, <laughs> he goes into places where the, this is the bad of the baddest. You know, these are bad guys. And he said, generally speaking, they are so damaged, you know, so damaged that it's irretrievable. Not all of them, but I mean, and and I was saying, well, where does, you know, what damaged, 
them. And of course, you know exactly what it is. It's their parents. You know, there's that Philip Larkin poem about they fuck you up, your parents. They really do. <laughs> and they don't mean to. It isn't even sometimes you mean to. Again, back to where our first conversation started. It's tough being a human being. But some people get really off the rails, you know. And, and yet, history and books and th- are, are filled with stories. The people who were, you know, called irredeemable and, you know, had really bad things in their past. But if you can provide for them the right role model, the right, you know, cocktail of responses and beliefs and tapping into, you know, the one role model maybe that they never thought about, like, you know, you were talking about, it was my grandmother, you know, it, 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 the human spirit, like I said, no one starts out going, I think I'll be a really badass. I think I'll be a criminal. I think I'll be a drug addict. I think I'll be the worst mother there ever was. Nobody gets, nobody starts out to do that. Right. And I still think, even opposed to what my son was saying, I still think I'm, I don't think I could do it probably and go in and change everybody. But I think attention and love and knowledge are all power and all, you know, something that the human spirit could come on to. And, and, you know, some people are mentally not well. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about a person who just has been mistreated and misguided and mistaken that that is still redeemable and i and i think part of it is that learning how to harness the stuff that went wrong instead of letting it sink you Mm -hmm. i i've met a lot of people too that um and i you know and one of them is a is a brother of mine who you know is committed to the idea of change and I and I and I've seen this with other people too, and you know, going through the core there, and um, and especially on the E on the endurance part of it of how long you let it, um, you you know you keep the situation and the adversity kind of tumbling around and rolling around. They're committed to the idea of change. I don't want this anymore. I want to wake up. I want to start doing something different. But they never get the inertia building to do the things that actually create the change. Then they don't really want it, do they? Well, that's the, is that the, that's the question, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it seems like you can judge it and go, well, you don't really yeah. want it. Yeah. But they seem like, oh no, I absolutely do. And they just say it with such conviction and certainty that they want it, but yet they don't get the momentum yeah. going, not, you know. There's not enough pain yet, you mm. know, that's going to make them take that first step. Because if you, re- my sister's the same way. I don't like my life. Change it. Well, that takes work. <laughs> I would those are not my just, people, by the way. I, those are the, <laughs> uh, yeah, Excuse you know, I would, I would rather just complain about it or <laughs> I'd rather just talk about it. My dad used to say, big talk, little do. And, you know, I don't mean to be cold about the whole thing, but it is, there's a degree of truth to that. You can talk up a great story and a great, but until there's some action and even a, a small action, you know, even if it's today, I get up out of bed and get dressed. Today, I made that first step. But you got to look for a first step. And here's the thing. It's like dealing with an alcoholic. You can't help an alcoholic. There's no way you can help him till he wants help. It's like love. I can't make someone love me, right? I, you can't make, no matter how much you love someone, Take that first step. They have to want it bad enough. And it's so frustrating and so hard to watch because you love them and you, you could see what they could be. You could see what they could do. But till they see it. And, you know, that's the most difficult part of my work, your work, a teacher's work, a parent's work. And, and you know, if I knew the secret to having your brother take that first step, and quit talking about it, you know, I, I, I would own the world because, <laughs> <laughs> because that is the hardest part of it all. I teach a boot camp at 6.15 in the morning, about 20 men, it's men only, which I just love because I just go, drop and give me 20 and they have to do it. <laughs> and 
in the morning. So only the really most dedicated, diligent, determined guys are going to come to that. And I can tell you when they come the first time, whether they're coming back, I could see it in their makeup and everything like that. I can see, you know, who's got the eye of the tiger and who doesn't and all that kind of stuff. And it's just really interesting to me. You know, some people just don't like getting up early. That's okay. They work out later in the day or whatever. <clears throat> there are some people who will never come to that and never, oh, you know, it's not my thing or whatever. Um, but that caring for yourself and knowing that, that, that you, again, matter is such an intrinsic part of any sort of success or any sort of um, improvement. And it's just determined by, by self. And, you know, that's um, just... Tell your brother to call me and I'll talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, so, so how do, um, well, when you say an intrinsic part of knowing that you matter and I've, you know, you, you run across people that are also very much, um, some of them are people pleasers, air quotes around it, where they are, they're only concerned and driven by what other people think. And, and, you know, that their, their ideals or their um, needs and wants become secondary. And then I think about people that, um, you know, sometimes this lack of, well, you just don't want it bad enough. And we dismiss that as, you know, laziness or sloth or, you know, they just don't care. Fear. People fear. That's what I was going to say is that some people are genuinely afraid and locked into the, the hamster wheel of the fear part of taking the next step forward. How do you make somebody become more adversity resistant or, you know, and we just said that you can't change anybody. They got to change in themselves. So how is it, however, that you guys bring in somebody who maybe um, is committed again to the idea of changing, but actually needs pushing and, you know, which, which areas do you end up you know, <clears throat> nudging them and, and shoving them in? Yeah, it's generally, you know, a, a longer process than an afternoon, um, you know, because a lot of the times what, you know, why we decided business as our vehicle was because if you can, you know, it's sort of like a mainline artery to, to change a society is if you can change the people in businesses and change the way businesses are run and change the way that businesses um, handle human resource. Um, now you've got something right. And, um, but you can't, the things that we're talking about take more than an afternoon of us coming in and going, here's your AQ. Here's how to change it. See ya. You know? Um, and I, I think that fear, when you, you say the word fear, you're 100% correct, but think of everything that you just said about the examples of people who are people pleasers, people who just can't seem to find the way to change or whatever. It's still all fear. It's just different names for fear, right? Like if I don't please these people, then I'm afraid they won't like me. You know, if, if I take the first step toward improving myself and I, it doesn't go well, I'm afraid that I'll find out that I'm really not talented enough or whatever. It's always fear. It's always fear. And um, again, so I coach a lot of executives. And, and one of the things that I say is, you know, I will, I, I want to hear what's going on with you. And I will let you know if you need therapy, because I'm not a therapist. Mm -hmm. There's so much about yesterday that's affecting today. I can't, I can't help you. But if you're wanting from, to go from today forward, that's my, that's my gig. That's my sweet spot, right? So first of all, a person has to decide, am I damaged? You know, do, do I have issues that I need to overcome from the way I was raised or from a bad situation or whatever it might be? I have to deal with that in a whole different way. If you're ready to move forward, then see, and by, by deciding that you've already made a step forward. You've already said, I am worth that. And I do want to be better. And I do want to get to where um, I could possibly go in my life. And so that's where we start. And then we also have a, I, I have a no whiner clause, you know, 
So, <laughs> so if you say to me, if, we, if we're coaching and we're talking about making it through a tough thing and learning how to harness adversity and we say, okay, so the, this week, here's what you're going to do. And then next week I talk to you and you didn't do it. You've already paid me six months and I'm going to fire you. I was going to ask you if you've ever fired anybody because I was sitting there thinking, man, if I had people show up and then they weren't following through, it would just drive me I fired, crazy. I fired them. I have them sign a no whiner clause because if they're telling me all the reasons why they couldn't do it, you're wasting my time and yours. I mean, it's hardball. Mm -hmm. It's hardball. But, but by the time someone reaches out to this point where they need some coaching and counseling and all that kind of stuff, you got to play hardball because it's in them, you know, and it's sometimes the only way you can scare them straight is to say, I'll keep you all your money and I'll let you go. And we won't do this anymore. So, okay. 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 I, I, okay. I promise the next time we talk, I will have, you know, and step by step by step by step through the core, through a sequence of, you know, how do you, what, what evidence do you have that this adversity is going to last all year? What evidence do you have that you'll, your business won't bounce back? You know, and then we start going through the, the steps and the ideas that it takes to really, you know, delineate that none of this is permanent except death. It's like Andrew Cuomo said, death is the only permanent thing right now, right? You're losing a job, it's not death. Losing, losing your, you know, um, boyfriend because he's quarantined with somebody, not death. So... Um, I think that that's the most important thing to remember is that you're worth it. You can improve. Everyone can. And no whining. Let's do it. Let's move forward. So um, it's a lot longer process than just going into a, a business with 500 people in the room and having them test their AQ and figure out how to explain to yourself. You know, it's cognitive therapy. A lot of it is mm -hmm. cognitive therapy, right? how to explain to yourself this situation and how to get out of it. But you can't do it en masse and ha with really difficult situations and things like that. It takes, takes longer. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like coaching in the, in the work that you do um, is kind of becoming the surrogate secure adult that, you know, maybe somebody didn't have when they were growing up, right? Like yeah, you didn't have yeah. that model. So bringing in a coach at this point, um, and, you know, in, in classes and stuff like that gives you then the model of what it looks like. And our brains are really great at learning new things, even as we get older. Um, and so that that ends up becoming something. And I, I've said that I've spoken to that before that as an adult, if you're wanting to learn how to increase your, your grit or your adversity resistance, it is to line up with other people that do and, and, and actually take note to witness that and then want to roll that back into your own experience in your own life and use it. But, but it is hard to do it in a silo, right? Like you don't yeah. just become, you, you don't become adverse resistant sitting in a black box and not engaging with other people that are kind no. of showing you the way. Well, I'm, and right now we're in the process of coaching all the coaches for the Olympics. So we're coaching all the people who are coaching this, the summer and winter Olympics. And you think, what, what, kind of, what, what kind of coaching do they need? They're already at the top level of the best of the best of the best, right? Think about the pressure on that. Mm -hmm. Think about when your time is two seconds slower than it was yesterday. You know, think about all the, right? And yeah, they're at the top of the game, but think what that costs you. And all the surrounding things about life that you, you feel like you're missing. And it goes on and on and on and on. I mean, it's difficult for everyone, whether you're an elite athlete or whether you're just a young mother going, ah, right? It's all difficult. It's difficult for your brother. It's difficult for my siblings. It was difficult for our parents. It's why mistakes were made, you know? Um, and if, if what's so rewarding about being a teacher or a coach or whatever is if, if just one idea, if just one moment opens it up for a person and they realize what's inside them, you know, and what, what it, you know, did you ever listen to um, the Rich Roll podcast? Have you ever heard about him? I have heard about him. I haven't listened to him. He, so I, the, the reason I bring him up is he was, um, a lawyer and overweight and a, you know, alcoholic and all this kind of stuff. 
flipped the whole thing around into ultra marathon guy and quit being a lawyer because he didn't like Stanford guy. He's smart, but you know, and, and I'm a big proponent of what one of us can do. All of us could do, you know, we're not all going to be rich roll. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it is possible to come from the depths of despair and despondency and disgust and raise yourself up and find out what you're really made of. It's totally possible because people do it all the time. And, you know, to be a coach or a teacher or a podcast host or an author or whatever it might be that can help one person do that, then it matters that you were here. And I just don't think there's any more rewarding thing that you could do other than save a person's life medically. So it's kind of the same. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty close. (laughs) But but you're right. There is, I mean, there is something. And I, you know, that goes back to, you know, the beginning where um, I, I found through my research that overcoming adversity and resilience is something that can be taught. And that, and that made that, that made me feel really good because I didn't want it to be some sort of, you know, um, you know, genetic code written in that only certain people would ever be able to figure it out. Um, otherwise, there's no point. Then um, there's no point. Know, yeah. Right? It's like, I've, I've got it. You don't. See ya. Yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> Later. Do you, remember, do you remember that old thing where people used to like, it was Schick Center for the Control of Smoking or something. Oh, and they yeah. would wear a, wear a rubber band. Mm-hmm. And every time you wanted a cigarette, you're supposed to snap yourself with that rubber band and go, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want... Yeah, aversion okay. therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if that worked, and it did, then think about what being able to explain yourself through a difficult situation and sit down. And here's the other thing. We, we you know, give you three levels. You know, there are quitters, campers, and climbers. Quitters are never even going to start. They're just going to complain about how life did them wrong and all that. Okay. You can't help them. Campers make a good effort, but they get comfortable and they stay, you know, they've got the new equipment, they got their tent. There's a reason content has the word tent in it, you know, that kind of thing. So you're, you're, you're comfortable, but you're not, mm, you know. And the thing about a climber is you, once you've seen the view at the top of the mountain, whatever your mountain might be, once you've seen it and understand what that view is like, you can't stay there all the time. You're going to have to come back down and camp once in a while and complain and learn and get some new equipment and restore and everything. But you're going to want to keep moving forward and up. That's what life is about, forward and up, right? And everyone can learn that. But the trick is to get the campers up there. And, and I think that's what people like you are doing with these podcasts and with books and what we're trying to do with coaching is show what what's capable and that everyone can be a climber everyone can learn like you said because otherwise what's the point you know if you couldn't learn to be a better human being and and be able to maximize your talents in life and be able to harness the tough stuff to make yourself better moving forward and up then what would be the point of a human life so right right yeah (laughs) <laughs> that that takes me really nicely into um, this, you know, this last question here, which is what role does our sense of fulfillment play in how well we handle adversity? Because it sounds like, you know, again, when you talk about a climber, a climber really is somebody who's seen possibility. They've seen potential in their own self. Um, they know what drives and motivates them, you know, what has you know, what ignites that spark inside of them. And, and I know for me, it's like, I just, I can't settle for anything less than that because I know it's there. Um, is that a, is that a part of teaching a climber or like camper how to identify some fulfillment in order to get them to essentially? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and my dad used to tell me success breeds success. And, um, that's true. You know, so, and it doesn't have to be a big success. So if you're, if you're a camper and you, you want to be more and you want to have more and you want to do more, one little, you know, success, one little movement forward, you know how exciting that is when a breakthrough Mm -hmm. happens, you know, or when you watch a kid with a breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's what life is all about. It's what, it's why we're here. 
and you know every everyone's capable of it in their own way and in their own you know purview so yeah absolutely that is the way to do it is that fulfillment of realizing i'm tapping into you know who i could be who i was meant to be who i want to be um and you know if you if you ask any person that you think is great any person that you think has a wonderful life what was the turning point it is never going to be a positive moment it, the turning point is always going to be a story that you go wow you know and that's the power of adversity and that's the power and promise of resilience is that it will get you up that mountain you know and um i just i i, I want everyone all all of your listeners and everyone i know to understand and feel that feeling of you know knowing what you are and what you're made of and what a gift the tough stuff can be. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Ooh, well, now Peak works with organizations and companies like you said there, but are there any resources that you would recommend for individuals that are listening here that uh, are like wanting to start, you know, kind of, you know, realizing that they're not maybe doing enough, but definitely want to do more? Um, yeah, great question. Um, the, you know, the world is, I love the George Carlin line about, you know, if you're looking for help, why are you going to a bookstore where it's called self-help? <laughs> <laughs> but there are, yeah. <laughs> but it, goes, it needs to be called something else. But um, there are some tremendous books, um, Peak Learning and, and Dr. Stoltz has written one called Adversity Quotient, Turning Obstacles into Opportunities. And it goes through the, the things we've been talking about, the core sequence and lead sequence and things that really help you that are, it's filled with tools that can get you started. Um, you can find out more about that at peaklearning.com. Um, but other than that, I think that you hit upon really an important one. And that is, they've done a lot of research that says, that shows that you are the result of the five people that you hang around the most. I think the first step for anybody is to take a look at who you're hanging around with and whether those people are achievers and those people are happy and those people are resilient. And if they're not, it's not that you have to get rid of the, <laughs> those five people, but be a little more careful about who you surround yourself with, what kind of movies you're watching, what kind of books you're reading, how much news you're listening to each day and where it comes from. What are you feeding yourself that then will help propel you forward rather than you know, um, dampen your possibilities and depress you. And especially at this time of the world right now, I think it's really important. Um, did you ever see the movie Witness with Harrison Ford? A long time ago. Yeah. Great, it was great the movie. Little, yeah, the little boy, right? The little he, Amish boy. Yeah. yeah. And the little Amish boy sitting with his grandfather because he found the gun that the policeman had and hid in their house. And the grandfather is like, put that down, Jacob, put that down. And the little boy is like, what? why I mean John Booker the detective holds it all the time and the grandfather said this and I've held on to this so long I told my kids this I've told my students this what you hold in your hand he said is what we believe what you hold in your hand is what you hold in your heart and I think that that is so true so make sure that the books that you're holding the people's hands that you're holding the you know things that you're doing feed your heart and make you feel that you're important and possible. And if you're not doing that, that's the first step I would recommend. Take a look around you, who you're hanging out with, how do you spend your spare time, start making it edifying, and you'll begin to feel more powerful and, and feel more purposeful in the changes that you wanna make in your life. Awesome. Well, I can't think of a better way to wrap this up. You just demonstrated right there, like why you're one of the most sought after speakers in the world. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that was brilliant. Um, well, this has been an incredible hour. I appreciate this so much. And this is really I appreciate you asking me. It's so nice to be with you and spend this time in the morning with you. Like we said, it's early. Early it is early. Morning. Yeah, yeah, it is early. It is early. But this is such a great way to start a day, it, you know, for me. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And I, me it, you too. Know. Me too. 
Cool, cool. Well, thank you very, very much. Um, and I hope that we can talk again. And um, I look forward to it. I'll count on it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiracone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.